Hey folks, before we get into this episode, I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. This episode is a bit more intense than usual episodes. We're dealing with a little bit more of a mature story in this one. We're talking about things that affect a small town, things that make people very, very afraid. Notably, we're going to be talking about the devil, we're going to be talking about terrorism, we're going to be talking about death. So this may not be the best episode to listen to with kids around or with the whole family. I promise it is not a scary episode, it's an important episode about the things that drive us and the things that make us afraid, but maybe not the best episode to listen to with kids around. If you're ready for the story, let's get started. Deep beneath that first layer of earth under our feet, there is vacancy. Great open spaces where running water has spent centuries digging away at the stone, carving passageways to flow free, boring new openings as it travels. Over millennia, these openings have turned from slight flowing rivers to massive caverns holding gallons of fresh, clean Florida water, the blood that pumps into the heart of our state, where our springs reveal themselves on the surface, creating that endlessly cold pool fit for a summer day, that is where the deep caverns of our home meet us on our terms. But sometimes, if you look hard enough along our peninsular landscape, you'll find open doorways to the endless cavities that hide below. If you get close enough, your mind will reel at just how far the great hallways below stretch away to the great unseen depths. And there's no greater passageway to those depths than in Williston, Florida. That's where you can find the Devil's Den. When it was first spotted by Floridians, it appeared as if it was a great opening into the unknown, overgrown by natural foliage appearing as an untouched portal to the beyond, to a place far out of sight. Even more suspicious was how the cave responded to changing weather. Reports shared that steam would pour from the spot when cold weather returned. The origins of the superstition begin here. Perhaps this vent of steam from an unknown origin was not water below. Perhaps it was an opening from hell itself. The reality was one of common occurrence in Florida. The earth on the surface had been eroded over the years, and when the rock collapsed, a previously subterranean river of glistening blue water trickled by. Over the following centuries, most of this area was revealed to have many access points to the springs below. Levi County, where the cave is located, has several springs within its state parks. Farming eventually developed in the area, which dropped the water table, meaning the subterranean spring at Devil's Den was no longer at the surface. You would need to jump or climb to reach it. It was left undisturbed that way for decades. By the 1970s, it was the perfect place for folks interested in the new hobby of scuba to drop themselves and their gear below the surface of the earth to explore the waters. Yes, it was trespassing, but no, they didn't care. For years, it was the best off-road spot to take a subterranean dive. Eventually, it was purchased in the 90s as private land and converted to what it is today, a privately owned diving spot for interested scuba divers and snorkelers. Paleontologists and archaeologists have actually spent some time in Devil's Den themselves and inside found remains of Pleistocene species from across the animal kingdom, saber-toothed cats, Mastodons, bears, sloths, even human remains have been found amongst the exposed stones at the Devil's Den. In effect, it's not just an opening of clean water below, but a passage to times far gone. I myself have never been, being neither a snorkeler nor a scuba diver, 
and honestly, I can't help but feel a little wary. You see, my local spring, Wakaiva, has a great crack at the bottom of the pool where some of the water pours out. Just out of high school, my friends and I would spend hours at the spring floating the summer days away. We would watch as enterprising explorers would swim deep in the great crevasse below the water and ride the currents along its natural flow and emerge from the other side, gasping like they rode a roller coaster. One day, a man with a makeshift scuba line dove far out of sight, sliding between the rocks, disappearing into the openings below. I couldn't breathe just watching him, I can't breathe just telling you about it now, imagining where he went, how far he would go, if he would come back up. When he did, I eased, but the fear of the great caves below never left me. I know that I'll never need to go into a cave like that unless I choose to, so I've intentionally avoided Devil's Den as much as the intrigue draws me to it. The reality is that what lies beyond terrifies me the most, not because I know what it is, it's just caves, but it's the unknowable darkness out there, the things out of sight, that heightens my senses and activates shivers down my spine. The monsters we see can be conquered, those we cannot. We can only prepare for the eventuality of their appearances. And just a few miles south of the Devil's Den, the Devil made another appearance on the Florida landscape. Not in the form of a mysterious chimney or an underground river, but in the form of one town's fear, and in their mayor's attempt to rid her home of the numerous terrors just out of sight. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the town that banned Satan. In this, our special Halloween episode, we're going to talk about fear, things that go bump in the night, and the town of Inglis when a variety of devils came to town. At the Paley Center, in the mid-2000s, the cast of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart sat on stage discussing the unusual relationship with bizarre news stories, their comedy show, and national news media. The question about that unusual relationship specifically mentions one story, the mayor of a town in Florida that banned Satan. Here's Steve Carell talking about it. Yes, that Steve Carell. For those of you who don't know what the story was, it was a mayor in central Florida who had a, a proclamation put into effect that essentially she was banning Satan from the town. And this was one of those fish in a barrel people that really didn't know who we were. And so I was able to get away with things like, okay, imagine I'm Satan. And I'm trying to get into your town. And she had absolutely no idea. He's referring to an event in the northeast of central Florida, in a town south of the Devil's Den called Inglis. The story goes that on the night of Halloween 2001, the mayor of Inglis, Carolyn Risher, sat down to draft a memorandum. Things had been going very poorly in her home city for the last few years, and fear had stricken her. As a means to prevent further pain and suffering in her city, she placed the blame on the very concept of evil itself. In her Christian faith, that was personified as Satan, the devil. Within a few weeks, the national news had heard the story and what followed was a media fiasco. The Daily Show sent Steve Carell, then a writer and correspondent for them, to Inglis to meet the mayor and the townsfolk. Here's a little bit of that segment, which you can watch in full on Comedy Central's website. 
While most small towns do their best to fight crime and drugs, the mayor of Inglis, Florida, is far more ambitious. I feel like Satan is everywhere. He's just that type of guy. As a public servant, Carolyn Risher knew it was her duty to protect the citizens from Beelzebub. Our church had a Winnie roast, a light came on in my mind and I said, I want to do a proclamation and I want to do it on town letterhead with a town seal banning Satan from our town. Carolyn Risher is an older white woman sitting in a suit behind her desk. Over her head is a picture of Elvis Presley. As Steve Carell begins to question her, he starts making odd faces and mockingly speaking in tongues, play-acting as the devil. He asks Carolyn Risher how she would respond if he was, indeed, the devil. She very sternly condemns Satan and says he has no place in her town. The concept is very silly, but in the early 2000s, it was an easy laugh during a fraught time in American history. It was the first few months after 9-11 and the country was in the early stages of the war on terror. Small town politics are light and easy to laugh at, especially when it's something as unusual as a ban on the devil. The national media got a good few minutes of laughter out of the story and then vanished. Inglis, however, remained. Before the spotlight, most people had never heard of Inglis, Florida. Just west of Inglis is a town called Yankeetown. I visited both of these cities for the first time early this summer while following the trail of the Marjorie Harris car across Florida Greenway. You can drive clean from the St. Johns River to Yankeetown along the Greenway, and you'll see a variety of small towns as you do so. Inglis and Yankeetown are the very last stops on the West Coast. Yankeetown, the older of these two cities, is mostly made up of heavily forested little neighborhoods right on the water, where folks live in comfortable little bungalows in the shade. The Greenway rests just a little bit outside of town and reaches its western end here at the Withlacoochee River. Yankeetown, while older than Inglis, was settled in the early 20th century by the same man, Armanus Knotts. Mr. Knotts was a member of the Indiana House of Representatives, and after working most of his life in his home state where he helped establish the famous city of Gary, Indiana, Mr. Knotts retired to Florida in the 1920s. He founded the city of Yankeetown in 1923, and the area just east of here, later named Inglis, was where he lived for a long time. He wanted this secluded hamlet to be a fishing village for visitors down to the region, and he succeeded. Today, Yankeetown is still known for its active fishing community. Levi County, where these towns reside, have always been in an unusual position in Florida's larger cultural ecosystem. It's too far west to be part of the Ocala National Forest, too far north to be part of Greater Tampa, and too far south to be part of Greater Gainesville. It's one of the least densely populated counties in the entire state, beaten only by a dozen or so of our nearly 70 counties. Its main industry is associated with agriculture, which looms large through this region of the state. Back in the day, it was just outside of the famous Bone Valley, where miners and explorers pulled phosphate out of the ground and popped up a massive mining industry in neighboring counties. Not, however, in Levi. Williston, where the Devil's Den hides below the surface, is the largest city in the county. Besides the Devil's Den, Levi County is most known for the devastating Rosewood Massacre, a racially motivated and lethal assault on the black residents in the town of Rosewood. It occurred the same year that Mr. Knotts founded Yankeetown, back in 1923. 
outside of Rosewood and the Devil's Den, the claim to fame Levi County has is actually based around Yankeetown and Inglis. You see, in the 1950s, Elvis Presley came to town. The movie was called Follow That Dream. It's about a family of vagabonds who wind up on a patch of land in Florida when their car runs out of gas. Instead of continuing on in their travels, they decide to set up shop right where they landed and open a fishing charter business. In a rare move for 1960s film production, the movie is set in Florida and was actually filmed on location in the summer of 1961. It was filmed in Inverness and Ocala and in the tiny twin towns of Inglis and Yankeetown. This was huge for the communities out here. I mean, it was Elvis. The Elvis. The community was thrilled. One story goes that Tom Petty, the famous Floridian rocker, actually met Elvis during the filming of this movie. There's just so much lore in that story, and its impact was so profound that in 1996, the city of Inglis officially renamed their major highway. It was then and is now called Follow That Dream Parkway. That parkway takes you all the way to the edge of the Greenway. And behind Mayor Carolyn Risher's head, as Steve Carell asks her about her recent activity as mayor, Elvis's face shines from a poster. It had been 40 years since Elvis came to town at that point, and the city of Inglis was still proud of this legacy. If the town would like to be remembered for one thing, I'm sure Elvis is at the very top of that list. But then, the devil came to town. The memorandum that Mayor Risher wrote on the night of Halloween 2001 reads the following, quote, Be it known from this day forward that Satan, ruler of darkness, giver of evil, destroyer of what is good and just, is not now, nor ever again will be, a part of this town of Inglis. End quote. It goes on to say, quote, As the mayor of Inglis, duly elected by the citizens of this town and appointed by God to this position of leadership, I proclaim victory over Satan, freedom from our citizens, and liberty to worship our Creator and Heavenly Father, the God of Israel. End quote. It goes on to include direct references to specific chapter and verse from the Gospel. The memorandum was eventually placed on official Office of the Mayor letterhead. Within a few weeks, the national media and the American Civil Liberties Union would be flooding the city, asking one question. Why? It may seem distant now, but autumn of 2001 was a scary time in America, especially in a small town like Inglis. In an amazing report from March of 2004, AP writer Todd Lewin breaks down all of the terrors that the town was facing. In covering the events that led up to the memorandum from Mayor Risher, Mr. Lewin says, quote, A father had molested a child. Teenagers were dressing in black and powdering their faces white. Pot and crystal meth use was on the uptick. End quote. In fact, over the next seven years, the state of Florida saw a general rise in not only drug usage, but in drug-related deaths, especially caused by crystal meth in rural counties like Levi County. On top of that, it had been barely two months since the attacks on September 11th. The country was reeling and responding with paranoia and fear, 
with new national policies and departments popping up to battle an unknowable threat. To make matters worse, within a few weeks of 9-11, politicians started receiving envelopes full of the deadly anthrax powder that would kill most people that ingested it. In early October, in West Palm Beach, Florida, a man named Robert Stevens working for the Sun tabloid received an anthrax letter and within a week, he was dead. The world was a very scary place, which likely just heightened the usual small-town horrors that affected the little hamlet of Inglis. They were not the only small town in America, or even in Florida, that were caught up in the dreadful fear of an unseen devil. In the 80s and 90s, a trend known as Satanic Panic caught small-town America in a chokehold. With a rise in conversations about Satan and Satanism in the 1970s thanks to pop culture hits like The Exorcist and the release of the Satanic Bible, the fear of the devil picked up speed. Murderous cults like Jonestown and horrifying serial killers just made danger more present in middle-class America. Imaginations started to run wild. Soon, conspiracy theories were drifting around with people growing concerned for their welfare and the welfare of their children. It made its way around the country, even to Florida. Whether any conspiracies pervaded Inglis or not, the entire texture of fear of the devil was baked into the atmosphere. With danger coming in at all angles, it can perhaps be forgiven that Carolyn Risher overreacted. But the world at the time was not quite so forgiving. In his article from the time, Todd Lewin shares that within Carolyn Risher's office years later, she still had a US map on the wall alongside a painting of the Last Supper. The map was covered in pushpins. Quote, each locates a newspaper, TV, or radio station that sent a correspondent to Inglis to write about her anti-Satan campaign. End quote. The article goes on to share that 217 media outlets from around the world made their way to Inglis. Everyone was fascinated for one reason or another in the town that banished the devil. The ACLU rushed to the case, citing the separation of church and state as a direct counter to the mayor's proclamation. All the major news networks and even the governor at the time, Jeb Bush, gave her a call. Fellow believers sent love and support her way, and Risher noticed just how serious what she had done was. Everyone in the world is paying attention, whether they agreed with her or not. She eventually put up signs around the town, declaring Satan's banishment, but they were quickly stolen. When new ones were put in place, fortified to prevent theft, townsfolks who didn't believe in the proclamation's core religious ideal started getting into shouting arguments at city meetings. All of the spotlight had raised tensions, and the lawyers roaming the streets asking questions didn't make things any better. Whatever crusade Mayor Risher was hoping to launch in her town was quickly stifled by the usual twists of small-town politics. She had to reimburse the city the amount she used to promote the proclamation, just around $13, and the anti-Satan signs were moved to private property. The ACLU dropped the case. Since the proclamation from the mayor was merely ceremonial and not a formal city declaration, the lawyers had nothing to fight on. The spotlight shifted, and Inglis was left alone once again. Eighteen years later, I drove through Inglis while pursuing the Florida Greenway this summer. Since departing Santos, I had been passing through beautiful little towns. A few miles back, I was driving through Denellen when the sight of sunflowers caught my attention. Both sides of the road were covered by an incredible sunflower farm, stretching as far as the eye could see. I turned back and walked a lap through the tall flowers, bees stumbling through the air as they drifted to the next flower in the field. 
I emerged refreshed. The Greenway had been providing beautiful sights one after another, and I knew I'd be at the ocean soon enough. I was in Yankee Town soon, riding to follow that dream parkway out to its very edge by the water. I had already passed Inglis, and I didn't even know it at the time. It was later, while gathering information on the towns along the path, that Inglis stood out to me. The town that banished Satan was just its branding, even nearly two decades later. Naturally, I reached out to historians and city officials in the area. All were very friendly and responsive, but I got one pretty clear answer. That whole story is over. Everyone involved is gone now, and Inglis, Florida had moved on. There was no point in going over the story again. It was done now, long ago past. Mayor Carolyn Risher, who was born in Inglis, who had served as mayor for 18 years, who had banished Satan, passed away at the age of 75 on July 28, 2016. She rests now in Cedars of Lebanon Cemetery in Inglis, Florida. The signs are still hidden out of sight, no evidence to anyone who doesn't know that this place was once a hotspot of conflict at the beginning of this century. The town, with a population of just around 1,000, still has its own problems, but no more concerns than any other small rural town in Florida. We've all got our own troubles, and Inglis is no different. In 2004, when Todd Lewin interviewed the residents of Inglis about the events, he shared that the residents were still divided on it all. There was more crime in those immediate years, and the police force did have to expand. Crystal meth was still causing trouble in the city, and some residents considered that to be the great evil the mayor was attempting to cast out. The discussion of whether or not the devil had his hand in those evils was still around in those days. Who knows where it all came from? Maybe it's just easier to blame the devil than to consider the truth. The monsters were there all along. I don't feel like laughing at Inglis. It seems a waste of good energy to laugh at anyone's fear. Whatever Carolyn Risher believed, she wanted to do the right thing for her townsfolk, I think. When we face huge, incalculable terrors, as we are facing right now, we sometimes do irrational things. When there's a tiny problem in one's life, we try to face it. We pursue it, we combat it, and we resolve it. When these monstrous things that are out of our control come around, however, what else are we going to do? In the autumn of 2001, how could American citizens face the specter of all the things that were haunting them? Any normal person would go wild trying to solve the unfathomable, and I think one of the greatest sins from that time is how we all acted in fear. I can't imagine being a public leader in a small town like Inglis was any easier. You likely know every soul in residence. You have to do something for them. You have to assure them that everything is going to be okay. Most of us would try to be reassuring, comforting, confident, but fear can make us do unexplainable things. And on the night of Halloween 2001, Carolyn Risher did what she believed was the right thing to do, even if it didn't make sense to you or me. Maybe it helped her sleep at night. Maybe she believed it would work. But there's no cure-all for panic, no button to push that makes the nightmares fade away. Sometimes it's terrorism, sometimes it's drugs, sometimes it's a pandemic that no one was ready for. Whatever it is, fear brings out the worst in us. I think we should try to forgive ourselves for the things we do when we're afraid and try to not act on that impulse the next time it comes around. The enemy is not the devil or any other supernatural force beyond explanation. It's easier to process, I'm sure, placing the blame that far away. Maybe instead, 
We should steel ourselves against what makes us afraid and respond without fear the next time the devil comes to town. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you are here. If you're brand new to this show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some really incredible stories waiting for you. If you're looking for a good place to jump in, you don't need to go all the way back to the beginning. I would recommend listening to last October's spooky episodes, especially my episode about the Annie Russell Theater, my personal favorite ghost in the entire city of Orlando. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review below. It helps the show become more visible, and honestly, it means the world to me. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com, and you can follow my personal account on Twitter at WFMNick. I look forward to hearing from you. Below, I've attached some links to the stories related to this episode. I've included a link to the original story on The Daily Show, and I've included a link to Todd Lewin's incredible interviews and research on this case from 2004. It is a must-read. For further details, it is an exceptional article. Early voting is going on right now in Florida. You have until November 1st to early vote, and then Election Day itself is on November 3rd. If you're looking to find your specific voting place, you can go to registertovoteflorida.gov. There's a link to that at the top of the description below. Go make your voice heard. All the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find more of their fabulous music at the link below. Next week, we're going to talk about one of the most important figures in Florida history, Governor Reuben Askew. In his time as governor, he fought for one thing, transparency. And the war over transparency is one that is still being fought in Florida politics to this very day. I'll see you next Monday with that brand new episode. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. Wear a mask when you go outside. Drink more water. And please, vote. Have a good week.